Hey, hey, this is Danielle Grouchek, founder of Canine Inspired Change. Welcome to the Canine Inspired Podcast, where we explore the connection between humans and dogs and give you tools to strengthen your bond with your dog and with your community so you can get out there and do good with your dog. All right. Thanks for tuning in this week, everybody. This is Erin. I'm kind of taking the lead this week. Also here with Danielle. She's going to be on on here as well. Hey, hey, everybody. How are you? How are you doing, Danielle? I'm doing super good. Good. Uh, this week, we're joined by Aaron Hunter and Mike Melios. And I have a great connection with these two through an organization called Karuna Community Minnesota. We'll talk about all of that later. Um, but first, I'd like to do some introductions. Uh, let's start with Aaron. And first, I want to say, Aaron Hunter, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you because you and I typically are just in board meetings um, and, and talking about the business. And so I'm, I'm really glad to have this like personal time with you. Uh, so first, uh, I want to talk about your role and, and what you do. Granted, there's more to you than than your work, um, but you are a uh, a sentencing alternative, um, or sorry, sentencing advisor and mitigation specialist. Correct. Please Correct. tell us more about that. I will, and thanks for having me on today. I appreciate it. Um, so my work is primarily focused with people who are incarcerated. Um, and are looking at a sentencing date coming up for court. So I do the work um, for a full-time job with the state of Minnesota, as well as have my own company, um, Sentencing Alternatives, LLC, where I work with wonderful, amazing attorneys like Mike, who bring me on on federal cases or state cases to address um, basically the client's lives and to try to give a better picture um, than what their charging documents might give about who they are. So do a social history, do um, information about their lives outside of the crime. And I try to write a persuasive argument to the judge as to why my client should get less time in prison or no time. That's the goal. This is so cool because this is a picture of a fully faceted human being. I mean, there's there's something I always think about when we go into um, juvenile detention center with the dogs, and the thought, and also I'm in recovery, so I'm ten years sober. So I hear this in the rooms too, and it's like nobody is the total sum of the worst thing they've ever done. And if you didn't have somebody that is advocating for you or the privilege of being a certain color or born in a certain demographic, then you a lot of times are looking at a world of hurt. So I'm very, very um, just thrilled that that what you do even exists because i didn't even know about this like hooray for the world we need another win any <laughs> win we can get right 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 well first off i mean congrats on your sobriety that's Thank amazing you. it's absolutely amazing and i i love to be able to tell clients stories of people who have overcome something like that and to be able to one connect with them on an individual level because that's what this is about i mean we're all just humans on this earth but two to be able to let them know they're not alone in this right there are people out there that have gone through this and come out on the other side and are doing well and so part of it is sharing stories um 
that can kind of uplift them because they're oftentimes in some of the worst situations possible. They're in jail. They're surrounded by people who are unhappy and are hating life and there's not a lot of positivity. So, you know, I think it's important that whatever message we can bring kind of from the outside and say there is light at the end of this tunnel is probably better than nothing. Right. We do recover. That's a slogan. Another slogan. It's a slogan heavy organization that I recovered in. So, yeah, we do recover. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, we'll get back to Aaron. I want to. I clearly want to hear more about what you're doing. Um, let's do a little intro. Mike Melios, my good friend. Yay! Um, Mike, you're an attorney, and you're also the executive director of of Karuna. Um, yeah, let's start with with you as an attorney. Hey, friends! It's so good to be on here. I I think the world of both Aaron's and Danielle, like you all, are just amazing and compassionate humans. Um. So these com- these type of conversations just energize me. Um, yes, I'm an attorney by day. Uh, I try to run Karuna uh, by nights and weekends. Um, I got into the legal field back in 2005, 2006. You know, I thought I was going to be a prosecutor, and, and I did start off as a prosecutor. Um, but like, like Aaron was talking about this, this whole person concept, one of the hardest parts about being a prosecutor was like being a judgment of people without knowing them, knowing their background, you know, knowing um, their story or, you know, what caused them to come into the legal system. So I eventually uh, switched sides. I was, I was in the army. I was a prosecutor in the army and in federal court. And then I switched sides to become a defense attorney in the army got out, ended up moving to Minnesota in 2015, where I uh, I run a small legal shop that is mostly focused on military and veteran cases, but I've also been a a public defender in uh, Ramsey County, and I've been a a CJA panel attorney where I represent clients in federal court, which is where um, I met Aaron because... um, yeah, I can't do the job by myself. And there's people that are experts like Aaron who are just invaluable members of the team and they help tell my client's story and help portray all the human aspects of the client. Like Aaron said, you know, they're not what the prosecutor says that they are on paper. They're not their criminal history. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I got to meet Aaron and we've worked together on a bunch of cases and she's gotten amazing results, uh, for my clients. And then, um, yeah, noticing the lack of compassion in, in the legal world. Uh, I reached out to some folks. I said, Hey, why don't we start this nonprofit that will bring mindfulness tools based in compassion to people in the legal system. And we've been, you know, building Karuna. Sometimes we're feels, feels like we're building it mid flight. Um, Building but. the plane in the air. I'm familiar. I love that. It yes. comes that's, up. That's it my, comes up a lot. A lot here. That's my comfort zone. <laughs> right. Which is where I, why I called Danielle the other day. I'm like, help, mm, help. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I'm I'm sitting squarely in the Mike Melios fan club, like chairman <laughs> of the board seat. I just think you're amazing. Um, and well, I think ditto, my friend. Thank you. And. I think what you you touched on about like the lack of compassion in in some aspects 
Do you think that that is like a protection? Like we think we protect ourselves because what the work that we're dealing with is difficult. And sometimes it can feel like, is this, can I really even do anything? Um, and then, uh, and then, uh, Karuna community and organizations like yours come along and say, we see that that's, that's difficult. Um, and so we can like help you out. So I guess the original question is, do you think that some of that lack of compassion is self-protection? Yes. I, I think boundaries probably cause it's, um, a formal system mm -hmm. that, that these boundaries occur. It's like when you ever go into a federal courtroom, I mean, the judge sits up high on a podium mm -hmm. and I'm like 30, 40 feet away. It's this massive room where, I mean, that is a physical yeah. barrier. Um, and so like what, what Aaron and I try to do whenever we, we bring our case before the judge is, is to penetrate those barriers and be like, no, seriously, like look at our client, look yeah. at our client in their eyes, know, know their history. Like, Look what happened to them when they were in the foster system. Mm -hmm. Look at look at how they got involved with substance use when they were 13 years old. Um, it's like, no, we're, we're going to try to alleviate these boundaries so that you consider our client as a person. Um, yeah. And I have to look for it myself when I notice that, you know, whether it's compassion fatigue or burnout, mm -hmm. um, you know, if I start becoming just emotionally, um, distant. Yeah. It's like, no, I need to find healthy ways to make sure I'm connected and, and can re-engage with clients and right. The mindfulness tools right. are, are healthy ways to do it because I want to be compassionate. Like I don't want to look at my client as a folder right. or, a, or a case. Well, that kind of becomes the signal then, right? The like red light, blinking light, time to, um, connect time to look what's going on here maybe it's time to reset there's breathing you can do there's yoga you can do there's people you can talk to there's dogs you can pet <laughs> um and so instead of like feeling yeah. what i think awareness is what you're talking about like oh first of all like a lot of people are not even aware that this is a tool or something that's happening within themselves and then just to go okay i'm aware this is happening having compassion for yourself instead of going god what a piece of crap i am for this is happening um instead of uh, doing that which i'm very well acquainted with um yeah. and that's just more ego so then and then you can and then you can then take measured action to move towards a you know a better place i guess well, and I think what what both Mike and Danielle are, are touching upon is um, we can develop compassion for other people if we're willing to hear their stories. Yeah. And and Aaron, this is something that was it really um, it was very present as I was reading more about what you do is this idea of storytelling. Like mm -hmm. your your clients, it's important to hear their stories. So I'd like to hear like what's inspired you to take kind of this route and go this way and and give give. I mean, I want to say clients, but I just want to say human beings, a platform to share their, to share their life story. And tell us about your dog, please. <laughs> <laughs> Start with my dog. Cause she's just the best. Um, I have, a, she's a mutt, I guess you would say, um, with a Labrador head <laughs> and like beagle body. So she's really <laughs> short and stout <laughs> and she's, She's adorable, and she loves our crazy family. We're a family of six. 
Um, she came along when our youngest was born. So was he was a newborn. We brought her into our home and we all just fell in love. And she's she's just a family member. We adore her. She her name is Elsa. Elsa. Um, Did that name come from the kids? Daughter named her when obviously the movie was really popular Uh um and what's funny about it is she's black so on top of all that she's a black lab named elsa and we we adore her so um she brings a lot of happiness to our family she's our our watchdog she barks at everything in anything um you might hear her if there's a delivery from amazon today because she (laughs) just goes crazy but then she gets to the person and she just wiggles her butt and she wants to you know be pet like any other dog (laughs) so um so yeah she we did have another dog that we had to put down about a year and a half ago and that was really hard on the family so um but Elsa has stepped up into her thank you into mm-hmm. her role as being lead lead dog in the house, and she does it very well. So, um, you know, gosh, what inspires me? I, I think, you know, my own personal life has been very inspiring in a lot of ways. I was adopted at uh, three and a half months old. I was born in Ecuador, and I came to Minnesota to live with two white parents and I was an only child and growing up in St. Paul in that environment, I dealt with a lot at that time. I was one of very few in the Como Park area um, minorities. And so going to school and experiencing what that felt like um, as being different and and going through kind of, you know, what what it is to be adopted and what it is to mm. deal with what is thought to be a rejection from your birth parents. And, you know, that experience alone, I think, shaped me tremendously. Um, and then I got into work. I, you know, I started pretty early in kind of the social services arena. And then I went into law enforcement for a brief stint. And I think and that was in the city of Minneapolis. So working for the Minneapolis Police Department seen a lot of what, you know, at the time seemed scary and seemed kind of foreign to me because I didn't grow up in a lifestyle of crime or, or drugs or anything. It was it was very new. But I also kind of noticed the humanity, like as big as Minneapolis is as a city, when you're seeing the same people getting arrested and dealing mm. with addiction and committing crimes to just survive, it really changes the story for you yeah. as a human being. It's like, wait, I know this person. This person literally was just put in jail last week and is out doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And you start to talk to them and you're like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Like what, what's, what's happening right now? And you find out it's, it's survival a lot of times it's addiction it's mental health issues and it's things that aren't being addressed within our system and so you see how it affects individuals in their day-to-day lives and so i got out of law enforcement for several different reasons but one of which was that it's not it wasn't helping anybody to be you know to be an enforcement to put people into jail or into situations that they're not ready to be in or they shouldn't be in. Mm-hmm. Um, it just didn't feel authentic to me. So I went back to school. Um, I ended up getting a degree in psychology. And from there, I went to work as a guardian ad litem mm. um, for the state of Minnesota. And so in that capacity, I was able to see 
children and how they're affect, affected by our system. And it's the same problems they're dealing with, with parents who have addictions and mental health issues and poverty um, and a lot of injustices. And to see that and to be able to advocate for them and their best interest um, was an amazing learning experience, but very exhausting. It was very hard to see the abuse and to hear the stories of um, neglect and just to see the pain in that system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I transitioned into this position that I'm currently in with the state of Minnesota through the public defender's office. And there, I mean, it's it's still hard work, but you're working primarily with adults. But at this kind of juncture, you're able to help them in a way that one is listening. Like our, our clients, my these people that I'm working with don't get to tell their stories. Mm-hmm. They're out there living their lives, trying to survive, you know, paycheck to paycheck, if that, looking for food, trying to just, you know, make it. And they don't have a moment to sit down and kind of go over what got them into the position that they're in. And that is, I feel it's an honor to be able to share their stories because these are stories we don't hear. We hear about our athletes and our celebrities and lifestyles that are we're trying to achieve, but we never hear the stories that make us. I mean, right. these are we these are people in our families. These are loved ones, they're friends, they're they're us. And to be able to share that with a judge who gets to determine their lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, it truly is an honor. And I tell that to my clients. A lot of them kind of laugh about it, but I'm like, seriously, I, this, I get to tell your story. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Because that's, that's a job that I feel is worthy of doing. You deserve that. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Wow. Well, thank you for doing what you're doing. And like I said, I didn't even know this existed. So I think it's good for people to be aware. Um, And, and a lot of things like resonated with me when you were talking, but when we are working within um, kind of the juvenile system here, we start to see kids like that were in Boys Totem Town, and then we see them at juvenile detention center, and then we see them at open school journeys, and we do start to see them over and over again. That's so true, and I think a lot of times they just don't. This is what the behavior that was modeled for them. This is what they think is available to them. And they just don't know that there is another path. I know I didn't. Um, And so when somebody like you comes along and says there, there could be another way, you know, that's sometimes all that needs to like crack open to let, let in some uh, light, you know? Yeah. Yeah. When I th- Thank it, you. It, it just humanizing, I think yeah. what kind of all of us are doing is, is we're, we're humanizing other other people that that oftentimes don't have the opportunity to be humanized. I mean, we just talked about this that when we when we bring the dogs into Ramsey County Juvenile Detention Center, some of the staff have mentioned like it's really important for us to see this because mm. the, the kids that are here, we get to see them be kids and mm-hmm. interact with dogs and talk about how they're feeling, mm. and that's not a perspective that we get. Yeah, well, for, that's for, a beautiful thing to give to those kids, honestly. Right. And also for the parole officers that work there, you know, um, there's a right. lot of them that aren't aware. You know, it's hard to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. It just is. And so for people that are privileged and, you know, grew up just because of the color of their skin, that they don't have to deal with these things. I don't think some people understand what 
it is to walk in another's shoes. So to hear stories, that's powerful. Just to be presented in a way that are like this, this is another, just like people, um, don't understand there's a there's a way out of a certain uh, I don't know destructive model people that are born into a privileged model don't understand that they were born into that and there is another whole experience that's happening in tandem with their life it's super important to, for us to connect to understand that of each other absolutely absolutely that's what makes I think that's what brings compassion. Right. That's exactly what compassion is, is that when you can understand somebody else's plight, it's all of a sudden it's more real. Right. It's like, oh, yeah. Right. I was just listening to another podcast about building empathy and like the scientific model behind can you build empathy and um, and compassion and kind of that's where it needs to start at this point where we're sitting. Um, and the answer was, yes, you can. <laughs> so, um, you know, I don't know the exact uh, nuts and bolts behind that. Maybe that will reach out to some people and get them on our podcast and, you know, start to teach us. But I think certainly it starts with telling stories and connecting through animals and creating organizations that recognize the need for this. Well, absolutely. Mike, Aaron had an opportunity to talk about dogs. Um, you currently don't have a dog. Uh, but he loves Sharpie, and Sharpie loves him. Yes. I do. <laughs> I do. I love Sharpie. And I occasionally, um, I don't know how I would legally define, but I, I have my old dog um, from my, my previous marriage, and I still hang out with Walter, and I watch Walter. Walter's 15. Um, so sometimes, um, if, uh, if Rachel, uh, goes away, I'll hang out, I'll hang out with Walter and, um, yeah, he likes to wake me up at five and it reminds me of, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm like, Oh, what are you doing? Walt, why are you pacing? <laughs> uh, but he's a good boy. He's just, he's in his, uh, he's in his senior years. What kind of a dog is Walter? I know I've seen pictures. Um, Walter is half pug, mm-hmm. half beagle, oh which goodness. I guess the, the the name would be a puggle. Um. Which, um, yeah, yeah, he was a, a Tennessee farm dog. From yeah, I, I don't know, I don't remember how Rachel came across him and Maddie. Maddie would be we to put down uh, about a year ago, mm. but yeah, they're good pups. AJ loves pups, and we oftentimes will watch. Um, some dogs from the neighborhood. We watch Luna um, and Luna will stay with us. Um, so we have a little bit of a mini pet hotel. That's here. so nice though. That's awesome. We do a zoom session with a, a school in the area. Um, there's usually three um, girls and like third, fourth grade ish. They're third grade, third grade um, girls. And we talk a lot about, um, Instagram and you're not the likes that you get the number of likes you get on Instagram and everybody's beautiful the way they are and the you know and how dogs are all different colors and anyways one of the girls always calls Aaron's dog um whose name is Wallace Walter I love Wallace so Wallace and Walter kind of go hand in hand you know yeah (laughs) Well, Mike, you've always been such a great supporter of of what we do at at Canine Inspired Change. You know, AJ, your son, and you you know, have shown up to events, and um, I know I I can speak for the organization and just say we're we're so grateful for your continued support. Yeah. 
Well, it's really important. I mean, I work in the veteran community. I, I did a lot of years in the army, um, and just dogs can have such an amazing healing attributes, support attributes. I have a lot of clients who have support dogs. Um, and like I'll even notice it. Like if I'm stressed out and if I'm watching with one of my friends' dogs, it's just nice to like have my hand mm-hmm. and just like do my breaths. Like, mm-hmm. and it like brings back the idea of perspective and interdependence. Like we're all in this thing together. Um, and you know, presence. This dog just, just wants to love. Yeah, yeah. This dog just wants to love and care and, Maybe I can take on a little bit of those qualities. Perfect. Yeah. No, I love what you all do. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and I think that's nice to, I love being involved with other local organizations because I think we can be all, all be helpful to each other and like come yeah. kind of at it from like a, a abundance mentality. Like how can we help and where do we intersect and what do you know? And here's what I found out about this. Um, that's been super helpful to me to, to just feel connected um, and not feel like, man, I'm just like doing this alone and, and it's an uphill climb. Well, and that's a perfect segue uh, because this is part one of two. Yeah. Um, so we're going to come back and we're going to talk about building community and supporting nonprofits through um, Karuna Community. Um, so until next time, everybody, we see I see you. You matter and get out there and do Do good good with with your dog. dog.